This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Books Up. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Books Up. Was that your sexy voice? Welcome to Bookslut, a podcast bringing erotica out of the gutter and into a snobbier gutter. Hi, my name is Abby. And I'm Sam. It should go without saying that this podcast is not safe for work, so put your headphones in. Okay, so I read a novel called, well, it's got a few different titles. The most common one is... Uh, just simply Fanny Hill. <laughs> Not <Which is> n- <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, but it's also called Memoirs of a Woman of Pleasure. So, Abby, you've actually read this before, haven't you? I have indeed. <laughs> um, when I was about 13 or 14, quite some time ago, I don't really remember that much about it, but I do remember this one time I went to the beach with my friends and because I'm a pasty ginger, I was just kind of sitting under an umbrella reading while they were all off being young, normal teenagers. (laughs) You're such a weird kid. (laughs) And uh, there was just this very vivid description of a penis. I don't really remember much more of it than that, but I I remembered that very explicitly, and so I was like, this could be, this could be a good one. And I and I think when we when we started talking about it, we found out that it's actually supposedly one of the first Western pornographic yeah. novels ever written. So yeah, seventeen forty nine it was published. Yeah. yeah. So I think and I and I think it's kind of a good point to say that it's we're speaking western here so there have obviously been other novels in other cultures yeah i just kind of was looking at a few things and they mentioned the decameron of giovanni boccaccio in 1351 which is a famous work of erotic literature and also the kama sutra of course a classic Uh, (laughs) it is a classic of not our times but jesus's Actually, before. Wait, what does BCE stand for? Before. It doesn't stand for before Christ, no. does it? I think that's just what my school taught me. Yeah, it was always before <laughs> Before Christ and after death. <laughs> anyway, um, but I think generally speaking, this book, Fanny Hill, was kind of the beginning of what I'm going to call modern pornography. Yeah, love it. Um, I think that's a good divider. Like yeah. That. So anyway. Yeah, amazing. Like having just finished this book. I think it's insane that you were reading this <laughs> as a 13-year-old. Um, yeah, I just, I'm struck by just how much was included in this book. But anyway, before we get too far into it, I pulled up the cover. So I, I read this, um, I read a digital version because it's it's not super easy to come so by. Techie. I know. So here is the cover, the, one of the more common covers. <laughs> oh my God. What? There is a lot happening here. Okay, so, I mean, there is a woman who looks kind of dead on a, on a bed, I guess. Oh, no, it's definitely a bed. Uh, artistically covered just over her vagina with either a skirt or 
the duvet. I'm, I'm unsure. <laughs> Could be either. I like that you used duvet then. Yeah, Very thank you. Classy. It looks more like a duvet than a doona. <laughs> okay. You know, it just gives me duvet vibes. Okay. Um, and she has large hair and she has... Guess what colour her hair is, Abby. Oh, is it red? It is. <laughs> She's a redhead. They're always redheads. Yeah. Okay, so based on that cover, this is an erotic murder mystery (laughs) that may or may not involve (laughs) underwater exploration. Okay. Okay. I wish that were the case. (laughs) So in stark contrast to the book that you read for the last episode, this is, this book was 250 odd pages. Uh Uh-huh. Ooh, when's the first sex? The first sex scene that happens is about page nine from memory and the first couple of pages i was like oh my god this is gonna be the first couple of pages page nine i'm impatient (laughs) but also like it's dense reading right so it's 18th century english it's very verbose i felt like i was reading something for english class in high school Mm -hmm. until it became very (laughs) much not something you would read in english (laughs) class although i'm sure i would have enjoyed in english (laughs) class um can we just before we go on to the the actual book of it i did you happen to look into john at all john cleland the author i did yeah i can can we have a moment for john (laughs) sounds like a twat because everyone talks about fenny hill as well everyone in certain circles talk about fenny hill in this way of of you know, quite an important literary work. This man has no other works that were any good, you know? <laughs> so I feel like Fenny Hill is kind of like when I was in English class and the teacher tried to tell me that, you know, the Mentos song in Clueless was actually this great metaphor for the cleanliness of, of Ty's personality. Right. No, it's product placement. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's just like, everyone's like, oh, you know, the way he talks about it, it was just this real fun way. I don't, I just think, I think it was a fluke. Yeah, I think he's a right. shitty writer and a shitty dude. And he just went like, maybe I'll do this for lols. <laughs> and then and then when he gets arrested, so like, spoiler, he gets arrested for this book. And um, he says like, I wish I'd never <laughs> written it. I, w- I wish I could burn it. I hate it. Yeah, like, like stand by your work. <laughs> exactly. You know? Um, before we go any further, though, I think it's important that we do a bit of a content warning. Um, given the time period that this book is set in, there's a lot of sex happening with people who are underage, a lot of rape that happens with people underage, a lot of sexual assault that happens. It's not framed that way, but I think it's hard to avoid talking about this book without that coming up. I wanted to be conscious of that. I did also look up what the age of consent was in England in the 18th century. (laughs) Okay. Just because I was curious, because I was like... For me, it's quite a blocker to read erotica about... Children? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is <laughs> preventing me from fully enjoying this this passage. But yeah, at the, at the time, the age of consent was 12 or 13. I can't remember exactly. Okay. But yeah, so it, it's legal at the time. And I think, I think it is something to also think about with the period is that this idea you know adolescence is actually relatively new yeah um and that we are extending out our period of of adolescence totally and in this time these kids 
were working and yeah. probably getting married relatively soon. Yeah, well, the age of consent at that point aligned with the age that you were legally able to yeah. get married. Yeah. So I think they were treated as adults yeah. in a lot of ways that maybe we don't agree with now for yeah. valid reasons. <laughs> totally. But it's something to, to consider. But, yes, definitely important that there is a content warning on this one. Yeah. Okay, so there's approximately 50 sexual encounters in this book. Wow. And how many pages? Is 250. Okay. While I was reading it, it sort of felt like the plot was just, it was, it, the plot was a vehicle for the sex. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of sex. So the story, there's this girl, Frances Hill is her name, Franny Hill. She moves to London. Um, she's 14 at this time and the book takes place over five years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so the the book is written in um what's it called when it's a in letter format? Epistolary. Nice. <laughs> I actually I know that because I hate that format. I hate it so much. Yeah, right. But yes. So and apparently I was reading it's actually really common for a lot of early um sexually explicit works to be written in this sort of like memoir format. Yeah, I read that as well. I also read they are often between women. So I think Fanny yeah. Hill, she's she's writing to another woman. Yeah, she is, yeah. And uh, I think in, in a lot of these, it's written as like confidences between women. And yeah. there's kind of a lot to be said about this idea of, of two women sharing not only their uh, histories or this kind of sexually explicit information, but as a way of sharing information about pleasure. Yeah. So there are arguments about kind of the feminist implications of this. I know yeah. this one is written by a man, but there were others written by women. Um, the that one about Venus, the School of Venus, I believe it was called, and it was written by a woman. And it is um, kind of like a, a manual of pleasure. It, it talks about masturbation. Mm. It talks about all of these things, and it was a way of showing women's voices and showing them as subjects of yeah. uh, sexual desire rather than as the object of sexual desire, yeah. which is which is kind of interesting considering yeah. porn nowadays. And I really wanted, like, when I first started reading this, I was like, oh, this is really interesting, acknowledging that it's written by a man, but it's still, like, a female perspective. And I really wanted that to be part of this book. But as I went on, I became more and more conscious of how much it was written for the male gaze. It's definitely written for a male readership. But... I- I will say, so I didn't warn Sam that I was going to share a lot of the names of articles that I wrote. <laughs> I mean, that I read. Um, and one of my favourites is uh, a Burkean analysis of the sublimity and the beauty of the phallus in John Cleland's Fanny Hill. And one of the points of it is saying that there's been this this discussion about the way that she describes the phallus as these, like, when she starts, it's kind of like she's terrified of it and then she grows to love it. Stop stealing my thunder. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, absolutely. And it, it's it's interesting because there are these really long, like, verbose passages dedicated to describing penises. And I will say, related to our first podcast, that I I like the word phallus. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> in like a in like a dirty talk context, though. Like, no, not so much. But like, in in just a just a discussion way, you know, yeah. like the phallus. It was like the word phallocentric oh, that I like came that up too. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but just as I want to be on record again. Um, but there is discussion that 
it was maybe homoerotic. A hundred percent. Stop it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, um, fuck it. No, I'll tell you anyway. I'll tell you now. Yeah. In terms of Cleland, so something that I thought was interesting. So as you mentioned, many, many, many critics have pointed to it being quite homoerotic because it's written by a man under a female voice, but very clearly like highly romanticized and eroticized towards the male characters and specifically towards their their physical form. And there's speculation that Cleland and one of his good friends at the time, Thomas Cannon, were actually lovers. They had a falling out. They actually was a dick. Yeah. <laughs> they actually kind of remind me of when I was reading about their relationship, I immediately was like, ooh, it's kind of like Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Like I got a real <laughs> strong <laughs> vibe from it maybe jk rowling's just been reading her uh, <laughs> yeah. the old erotica um and part of the reason why there's so much um speculation about that is because uh thomas cannon wrote what may be considered to be the earliest published defense of homosexuality in english uh, a month after fanny hill was published so um this one guy i was reading he said It's no coincidence that they simultaneously produced the only two explicit accounts of male same-sex desire in English before the 19th century. Okay. So, yeah, there are some strong homoerotic themes throughout the book, which I think is interesting. Anyway, back to the story. Sorry, yes. (laughs) So, okay, so she moves to London. She's Mm -hmm. out on her own. She's so young and naive and she's really trusting and she goes um, looking for work and she gets taken in by this woman uh, as it turns out, it's very, very clearly a brothel. Uh-huh. Um, but at the time, she's like, oh. I mean, we've all made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just be like, I'm just, I'm just a small town girl. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm in a brothel. She doesn't, she doesn't really get it at the time. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, she's 14. Yeah. You know? And she's from the country, you know. she's Not, she's... not all 14-year-olds <laughs> are reading Fanny Hill on a beach. Exactly. <laughs> and so she gets paired up with this woman called Phoebe, who kind of becomes like her sexual mentor, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I have big respect for Phoebe. She's my favorite character in the book. Okay. She starts to sort of like awaken her sexuality. Right. Is there like a Cruel Intentions-esque yeah. lady lady? Yeah. Ooh, that's okay. a good comparison actually like this whole idea of like teaching the the newbie phoebe is very comfortable in her bisexuality it's not called bisexuality in the book yeah but she's very comfortable with with both men and women fanny has her first orgasm with phoebe Phoebe. that's nice and there's all this there's all this content about how um phoebe's trying to finger fanny (laughs) (laughs) which (laughs) is the best tongue twister ever (laughs) Say that six times fast. <laughs> um, but she can't. She, she like, really struggles. And there's all of this talk about... Like, Phoebe or Fanny? Like, Phoebe struggles to get into Fanny. <laughs> because of, there's all this talk about Hymen and, and, oh, okay. and whatnot. Yep, yep, yep. Um, As we all know, the Hymen is a solid barrier <laughs> at the top of the vagina. Right. Stopping all entries. <laughs> yeah, right? Yep. Anyway, so... Then the the madam of the house uh, tries to sell off Fanny to this older guy because Fanny's a virgin Mm -hmm. at the time, so she's worth a lot of money. And Fanny's, like, really repulsed by this old guy. And there's uh, this moment where she's, she's, like, really stressed out and she's, she's, like, protesting against him and he's kind of forcing himself onto her um, because there's this prearranged 
deal with the madam of the house. And then basically, I mean, read, read to you what happens when, when he forces himself onto her. The brute had, it seems, as I afterwards understood, brought on by his eagerness and struggle, the ultimate period of his hot fist of lust, which his power was too short-lived to carry him through the full execution of, for which my thighs and linen received the effusion. So he came on her thighs and dress, basically. Yeah, right. Can I interject? Yes, please. (laughs) One of my other favourite articles that I read is called Wantoning with the Thighs? The Socialisation of Thigh Sex in England, 1590 to 1730. Thigh sex? Yeah. As in thigh sex. So it's this... I I didn't know, but apparently, like, it's still a thing, obviously... There are websites called thighlovers.com. But in this period, so kind of the 1590s onwards, there was a focus in a lot of poetry and writing on women's thighs. Yeah, right. Just really eroticizing women's thighs. Yeah. And it's an interesting parallel to draw, whereas now, you know, if you watch porn, there is this whole thing about having sex with women's breasts, Mm. I guess, you know, and, and that's kind of a thing. It used to be having sex with women's thighs. So I mean, there's a lot of thigh content in this yeah. book too. Yeah. So apparently, it was it was really big, and it leads into this it, this bigger argument that came across a lot that I was very kind of really interested in the idea that previously in in this period there was a focus on things outside of penis and vaginal penetrative intercourse. Yeah. He makes this good point about. You know, when you highlight the beauty of the thighs, were these pieces of writing actually encouraging people to be attracted to thighs? Which is interesting when you think about the influence of the way that we focus pornography now. Are we influencing what people find attractive and don't find attractive? Yeah, as in, like, are they creating that desire or are they just reflecting what already exists? Exactly. So in this period, thigh sex, big thing. Yeah. And there's this this guy called Abel Love, which is the theory that Great I... Great name. I know. Oh, so many good names. I've got another one, which is my favorite. <laughs> but Abel Love had this theory that capitalism changed the way that we had sex. Okay. In that post-capitalism, and I read a bit more into this and now I'm not as mind blown about it because there are obvious problems with the theory. But when I first read it, I was like, oh my God. Uh-huh. So... The increase of capitalism and this idea of working and efficiency meant that having sex outside of procreation was no longer the focus. So foreplay previously was a focus. You would have things like thigh sex, you would have Mm. things like stroking and caressing and that being kind of the focus of the sexual act. Yeah. Whereas post-capitalism... Anything that was kind of seen as non-reproductive yep. became foreplay. Yeah, foreplay was an interesting one in this book as well because there wasn't loads of it, but it did come up a bit. And while I think Cleland was problematic in a lot of the things that he talks about, <laughs> there's this bit where he goes on to talk about how foreplay is actually really important. And there's this quote that I really loved, um, probably one of my favourites from the book, that made me think that he maybe he was somewhat sexually awakened in some (laughs) sense. 
this doesn't make a whole lot of a whole lot of sense without the entire context, but basically there's just been a lot of foreplay in a sexual act. And then it goes on to say, here he began the usual tender preliminaries, as delicious perhaps as the crowning act of enjoyment itself, which they often beget an impatience of, that places pleasure destructive of itself by hurrying on the final period and closing that scene of bliss in which the actors are generally too well pleased with their parts not to wish them an eternity of duration. Which is kind of saying that there's this sense of like hurrying, mm. hurrying through and forgetting the full play bit and you kind of, you're destroying your own pleasure in this in the, the pursuit of pleasure. Yeah. By cutting it short. Yeah, and I think a lot of the things were saying that, you know, even in these books where you did have this kind of extra focus on foreplay masturbation, um, they still valued penetrative sex, what they call cross-genital sex. Oh, wow. I've never heard that term before. <laughs> yeah, neither. So there's still this focus on, well, I guess not not a focus. It's a hierarchy where penetrative sex is still kind of considered the be-all and end-all of sex. Absolutely. But um, arguably still, unfortunately, is the case. Well, yes, and this idea is that a lot of people looking at pornography say that from this period of kind of 1749 onwards, pre that, you had this idea of sex as like this there were mental elements attached to it. It Mm. was kind of political, it was subversive, it was philosophical. You just... The erotica of then, which is not considered pornography for today's standards, would go off on these tangents, either comedic or philosophical or whatever, but that was part of the eroticism. Yeah, right. Whereas post-1749, these things became expendable and were published and edited out and it was just like when can we get to the sex yeah. the sex is the important part and they just kind of pushed it towards this and fanny hill is kind of the beginning of this focus yeah and you can really really get that sense reading this book it is so p in v centric <laughs> it is obsessed with penetration and even things like when fanny is pleasuring herself there's all of this talk about her using her fingers but how they're like a sort of a a terrible substitute for male penetration. It's Mm. all geared around this idea of male penetration being the be-all, end-all. I've actually been reading a lot about the need to get rid of this idea of foreplay nowadays and how it's really like... It's just sex. Yeah, exactly. Like it should be part of sex. Yeah. Which, yeah. I 100% agree with that. I just don't get... It it blows my mind that there are people out there that don't think that foreplay is a necessary part. Yeah, and it's also like super heteronormative as well, like Mm. to consider that penetrative sex is the only thing that is like proper sex. Yeah. But But, I mean, if you think, if you look at when you watch porn, the foreplay is so minimal. Absolutely. And often, particularly heterosexual porn, and often it is, you know, like, oh, Guy sees girl, guy touches the girl's boobs for a little while, and then the girl goes down on the guy for, like, a solid five minutes. Yeah. And then and then gets plowed. Like, that's... Yeah. <laughs> or in the case of last episode, it was one probing touch. <laughs> one probing touch, yeah. It's just kind of like, where is this? Yeah. You know, where is this, this idea come from that it's just, like, penis in vagina and everybody's happy? Like, people are not happy. Well, because it's completely... Male pleasure centric. Mm. And I was reading a lot about sodomy. Yes. Uh, what? <laughs> just for shits and giggles? Just, or for, like... just for shits and gigs. No, it came up a lot in this kind of to do with thigh sex, in that 
you know, I didn't realize that anything that was not P and V ejaculation was kind of considered sodomy. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was just butt stuff. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, so it, it is now and that's and that's what the um that's what it was when it became criminalized. Yeah. But when it was like a a Christian theological thing, it was anything that was like wasting the seed. And oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The so, juice of life. So it was like this and that was the other interesting thing with the thigh sex is that a lot of stories involving thigh sex were actually in judicial reports. So oh, there's an argument because it was wasting the seed. Well, because it was homosexual. It was men having oh. sex, well, having thigh sex with with men. Were they actually having thigh sex or were they I think a lot of them were having thigh sex. It's weird how many times I've said thigh sex. Yeah, I didn't expect this to be such a prominent theme. <laughs> but it was, I think it was kind of a, a, a gateway activity. <laughs> gateway. <laughs> yeah, right. But in the end, so there is arguments of some particularly judicial reports of this period being counted as pornography because they would be published and people would read them. Right. For the sexually explicit stuff that was in them and also kind of use them as a manual. Oh, that's fascinating. Is that, is that why you got into law? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things where sodomy was this idea of, I can't remember what we're talking about. <laughs> Whether or not anal sex is Oh, counts se- as sex. Yeah. And I mean, it does, right? I think it does. <laughs> I think it all does. I think you're right. It's it's a journey. Yeah. So there's another academic who talks about uh, the like the representation of female desire mm-hmm. in early modern porno- pornographic texts. This article talks about there's a quote from this book, The School of Venus, particularly, which has a similar gist with Phoebe and Fanny Hill of like an older woman teaching a younger woman about sex and yeah. about things to do and and whatever. And, and one of the interesting things, if we're talking about virginity is that there's a quote where she's talking about losing virginity before her marriage because the younger woman is very concerned about losing her virginity before she gets married. And the older woman says, you know, losing your virginity before you're married, it's a tiny peccadillo created by the jealousy of the male sex because they want their women to belong only to them. Oh, yes. (laughs) And Again, why I'm like, fuck virginity. And this was written in 1655. (laughs) I love that. So, I love that. Yeah. This is a good segue back into the story. <laughs> she doesn't consider that she's no longer a virgin, even though her and Phoebe have a lot of lesbian sex. Mm. The first sort of encounter, sexual encounter that we're exposed to in this book is girl on girl. Right. Um, so initially I was reading, I was like, oh, I'm in for a fun ride. <laughs> um, and that was page nine, <laughs> the girl on girl? I, around then. It was really early oh, wow, on. Okay, really, yeah. really early on. What happens is Fanny starts to have like sort of this like sexual awakening while she's living at this brothel with the aid of Phoebe kind of helping her there. There's a lot of scenes where Fanny is sort of peeping through like peepholes and through curtains and stuff, watching other people have sex. And she starts to get more and more like aroused by this idea. Okay. And then she gets like really, really swept up by it. And then she like kind of decides that she's ready. And then literally the next day, she stumbles across this guy who's passed out outside of the brothel because he got too drunk with his friends to come into the brothel to seek their services. And so she finds him passed out, <laughs> immediately falls in love with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And That's then, a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sounds like a top-notch <laughs> bloke. And then he wakes up, they kind of like make out a little bit, and then they decide to run away together, because of course you do. Uh-huh. Um, so he wakes up, he's like passed out in a gutter, got the dying taste of vomit in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. And they make out. That 18th century hangover. <laughs> they make out and then they're like, let's get hit. This is for real. Oh, uh, that's like the story of me on a Saturday night outside KFC. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Anyway, and so then they, they run off. They go to this um, hotel room, basically, and they're trying to have sex. But she's in so much pain that she passes out. And then he finishes anyway. And then he says, "Inside of her, yeah." Mm. And then he says to her afterwards, "He's like, oh, your thighs were instantly in a stream of blood that flowed from the wounded, torn passage." And she's like, "Oh, I love you. I love you so much." <laughs> Which I was just like, Fanny, have a bit of respect for your Fanny. <laughs> oh my God. I instantly hate myself for saying that. I love you. So, I mean, we end up at net neutral. Oh, perfect. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they have a bunch of sex. And then for some reason, and I, the details get And fuzzy. it gets better? Well, he suddenly disappears off to the South Seas for some reason. <laughs> And then you're subjected to, like, 15 to 20 pages of her just, like, moaning about Mm. how sad and in love she is Mm -hmm. over this guy. Love is hard. It's rough when you're 14 and... Anyway, so then the landlady of this place that she's been staying at for free this entire time, being all sad and depressed... I mean, she's not staying for free, though. This is the one that tried to sell her? Well, no, because when he met... When when her and this guy, uh, Charles, is his name... Uh Good name. They, strong name. It is a strong name. <laughs> when they run off together, they end up going to this other lodgings. Oh, okay. And then he disappears to the South Seas. Uh-huh. They're staying there. And then eventually... And sorry, did you say why he disappears to the South Seas? Or that the details are, unknown? The details are fuzzy to me. Right. Some cool. of the plot points were lost on me, mainly because both the English was dense and because I didn't care too much. <laughs> um, and yeah. anyway, so this landlady comes up to her and she's like, right... You're starting to get a bit better. P.S. You owe me like 23 pounds for all the rent and Which lodgings I imagine and food. A lot in yeah, that day. exactly. And so she's like, "But don't worry. I know this uh, wealthy merchant man who's taken a liking to you and wants to pay off your debt and basically buy you to be his mistress." Right. And Fanny's like, oh. Oh. <laughs> "She's very naive. Um, she resists a little bit, but then it turns out that this." This landlady of the house is in cahoots with this man, drugs her. Great use of cahoots. I know it's a serious <laughs> moment, but great use of cahoots. Thank you. She drugs her, uh-huh. and then this man comes along. They have sex, and then... While she's drugged? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Questionable. It is not okay. Um, yeah, sorry, not questionable. It is not good. Um, 
Anyway, and then she becomes his mistress. He pays off all her debt. Cool. She gets, like, quite bored with having sex with him. Um, okay. So Only like, does it in missionary. Got it. Well, most of the sex in the book is missionary. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Thigh sex and missionary exactly. or nothing? Offhand comments like, I was obliged to endure one more trial of his manhood and things like that. Like, she's not having a great time at yeah. this point. But, I mean, if I'm ever thinking about the trials of someone's manhood, it's not good. No. <laughs> but she's um, living a pretty, like, luxurious lifestyle. So, okay. You know, that's good. Not without its perks. Now, do you want to know the description of his penis? I absolutely do. So, being on his knees between my thighs... Mm-hmm. He drew up his shirt and bared all his hairy thighs, and stiff, staring truncheon, red top, and rooted into a thicket of curls, which covered his belly to the novel, and gave it to the the novel, not the navel. Yeah, the the novel. novel. Yeah. Okay. And gave it the air of a flesh brush. (laughs) (laughs) What a lovely flesh brush you have, sir. Uh, Actually, like on that point. so a big part of this book is the use of euphemism. So apparently, and I can't base this in fact, it's just something that I read. Apparently before Cleland started writing this, it was part of a dare to be able to write erotic works without using any of the specific terminology for like penis and vagina or any of the four letter words. Mm-hmm. And he was the cocky person that he is. <laughs> took that on and I thought that given that you have a bit of a as we established last time (laughs) a pretty uncomfortable with some of the the terms the terms Mm. I thought I could share with you some of my uh some of the things some of the favorites some of the terms that I picked out and you could let me know uh I guess you could you could you could rate them for me Uh uh-huh on how uncomfortable they make you (laughs) (laughs) yeah I like how that was like not how turned on yeah you are. It's just how uncomfortable you will be. Yes. Throw them at me. <laughs> okay. So, that wonderful machine. Nah. I'm not okay with that. Because it's it's cocky and it's like, it's also, am I having sex with a robot? There's so, he uses machine a lot. Yeah. No. And also, like, I mean, that wonderful machine is my vibrator. Let's not pretend <laughs> that it's your penis. <laughs> Yes. Like in this day and age. It's so true. <laughs> um, his affair? For penis? Yeah. I don't mind that. It's kind of, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a like drawn curtain kind of peeping around kind of way. <laughs> I just imagine just the tip peeping out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, less, less sexy when you put it like that. But I mean, like, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, oh, he's, he's a fair, like, it's no one would really know what you're talking about, and I like that. Okay, cool. His grand movement? No. That sounds <laughs> like he's taking a shit. Oh, it does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this one I've got an entire quote because I, I enjoyed it. Oh, good. And I'm only just now realizing how many references to thighs there are. <laughs> Sorry, I told you. It's, it was like, a thing. I knew it was a, a lot, but okay. Taking delight to slap her thighs and posteriors with that stiff... Posteriors. <laughs> Multiple. Yes. Hmm. Okay. One... <laughs> One cheek? Yeah. Is a cheek a posterior? I thought the whole butt was the posterior. So did I, but they always use plural in this. Okay. So... All right. With that stiff sinew of his. So he was slapping her thighs with his dick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
thigh sex. It's thigh sex. It was a thing. Yeah. I think we should bring it back. <laughs> bring it back. <laughs> Don't though. Also sinew. No, gross. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it sounds like his skin has been ripped off his body Doesn't and I can it? see his muscles. Oh yuck. This weapon of pleasure which she staked herself upon. Very buffy. I it like is. that. Yeah. I like I bet her and Angel were often talking about his weapon of pleasure. Oh yeah. they so were. <laughs> Um, I, can't, oh, I want to read some Buffy fanfiction. Yeah, that's that's next. Okay. But no. The Engine of Love Assaults. That sounds like a terrible 80s song. Oh, I kind of love it as a song. <laughs> okay. That Stiff Horn Hard Gristle. Ew! That is something that you, like, spit out of a stew. That's not <laughs> something that you put inside of your body. Gross. <laughs> That one, I mean, gross. he's very creative. Gross. Okay. This pride of nature and its richest masterpiece. No. <laughs> too, too, too up yourself. Yeah. And then there's one last one. A column of the whitest ivory, beautifully streaked with blue veins and carrying fully uncapped a head of the liveliest vermilion. No horn could be harder or stiffer, yet no more smooth or delicious to the touch. And so you can see how there's like homoerotic elements to this, right? Also, why is the shaft white and the tip red? Like, is there a blood circulation problem? I have so many questions about the colour there. So you're not turned on by that? Surprisingly, yes. No. (laughs) And then I've got a few ones for vagina. Oh, yep, good. Pleasure conduit pipe. Uh, <laughs> Hot. Uh, the machinery thing again. It's mm, yes. Plumbing. It's yeah. not sexy. They get better. Good. Region of delight and all the luxurious landscape around it. I like that. It includes both, like, I imagine the clitoris and vagina, and then also... Oh, no, they don't care for the clitoris. Oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) There is almost no clitoris action in this book. (laughs) Oh, did you just not understand? Mm, No, aside from Phoebe. Was it just maybe called, like, the button of pleasurable... No. No? No. (laughs) There was very little clit action. Okay. Um, Right. In which case, no. I mean, no. (laughs) That dark and delicious deep. I like that. I like the alliteration. It is mysterious. It makes me think of deep waters. So far I have like his affair plunged into her dark and delicious deep and I'm okay with it. I think I should start writing. (laughs) (laughs) A furnace mouth? A furnace mouth. No. No. (laughs) That delicious cleft of flesh? I don't like the term flesh. Yeah, I mean until flesh. So you don't like you don't like flesh brush and you don't like cleft of flesh. It's like you don't want to hear about any of the flesh. Flesh is a gross word. I'm I'm putting it, it out there. It makes me it makes me think of corpses. Yeah, it does. It makes me think of like a zombie yeah. movie. Last one. Mm. The soft laboratory of love. <laughs> That sounds like a song from the 60s. I love that one. 
There were so many times when I was reading this mm-hmm. and I was around people and I would just laugh out loud at those kinds of mm. euphemisms because they just they're so creative and so funny. Yeah, that's beautiful. He really had a he had a mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was a guy, he had a mind. Yeah. Okay, so Charles is gone. She's Char- a mistress. Yeah, she's a mistress of this rich merchant man. Sorry. Just real quick detour. Yeah. I read this uh, thing on the internet called 18th Century Erotic Novels Way Dirtier Than Fifty Shades of Grey. I haven't read Fifty Shades of Grey, but this was fucking filthy. <laughs> like, I mean, there's girl on girl, there's BDSM, there's suggestions of hetero heterosexual anal sex, no. there's... Um, homosexual anal sex, there's orgies, there's exhibitionism, like... Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's more than Fifty Shades of Grey. There's a lot. I mean, I also haven't read it, but I assume. One of the shitty things about it is that the novel kind of teases you um, with the possibilities of these things, but it also simultaneously suggests that they're incomplete or misdirected. Like, any, they every now and again they'll kind of, like, toy with anal sex mm. but then be like whoop wrong hole yeah exactly right exactly almost in those exact words as well <laughs> one time she she works herself into, up into this like sexual frenzy and then finds a guy on the street and takes him into a pub i mean <laughs> we've all been there, been there. <laughs> we've all been there and then so they're like they he undresses her and whatnot and then she's like and I, feeling pretty sensibly that it was not going by the right door and knocking desperately at the wrong one, <laughs> I told him of it. Pooh, he says, my dear, any port in a storm. <laughs> oh my god, any hole is a goal. Right? Is the 18th century any hole is a goal. I know. <laughs> that is upsetting how much we have not changed. I know. <laughs> okay, so we haven't even got particularly far into the story here. <laughs> She's mistress of Mr. H, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then she sees him having an affair with one of her maids. And she's, like, a bit bummed about it. But not in, like, a jealous sense, but just kind of like a, oh, I feel like I need to get revenge. And so she does. And she ends up having sex with one of uh, the male members of her household staff. Uh-huh. It's like she has this genuinely, like, pleasurable experience that she's in control of and has consent in... And she's like worked up over it, and there's this like this power play. I quite enjoyed it actually because she's kind. Of, she takes on the role of teaching him because he's the innocent one in this situation, ah, which I right. quite enjoyed. Her description of his penis is very, very well. Let me just say that he's well endowed. Okay. Not the plaything of a boy, not the weapon of a man, but a maypole of so enormous a standard. That had proportions been observed, it must have belonged to a young giant. <laughs> like, oh wait, and, and then and this was a good thing. Like, she was excited about this. Well, she goes, she goes on for like it's a long passage about <laughs> his penis, and then right at the end it says, "In short, it's." I'm stu- glad we have it in short. Just in case I like. I mean, the penis is short. <laughs> in short, it stood an object of terror and delight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So she's having an affair and it goes on for a while and she's like really into it. Mm. She's this guy's called Will and she is like the name Will. Not yeah. a strong name. Yeah. She's really into him, like physically. Willie and Fanny. It sounds like characters out of like the Enid Blyton. Yeah. I was gonna say like magical Far away trait. Yeah. Enid Blyton. Yeah. Yeah. We're on the same page. Yeah. High find. <laughs> <laughs> um It's the rose, it's got to me. Yeah. <laughs> In the end, Mr. H discovers them fucking one day. Uh-huh. And he's like, get the fuck out of here, you skank. What? You are no longer my mistress. What a bastard. And she's like, but you had sex with my maid. And he's like, eh, that's how it is. It's the 18th century. I don't care. But he does let her keep all of her, like, dresses and stuff. So Okay. That's nice. That's, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I like how easily bought we are. <laughs> Oh, well, he lets me keep my dresses, so I guess it's fine. So what is hypocrisy? That's the end of part one. Oh, fuck me. Really? And then part two happens, and so she starts a new letter, and I found it really funny because almost immediately, like, it's, I think it's pretty rare that you're reading something and the author will, like, outwardly address how boring their writing is. But she's she's basically like, oh, it's so dull writing this repetitive stuff about sex. Because like, the, sex, the sexual <laughs> encounters are always, like, the same sort of formulaic to this point, at least, like, it's always, like, lifting of the petticoats really quickly. And then, like, uh, apparently, according to Cleland, uh, I beg to differ, Mr. Cleland, but they, like, they come together every time and mm. all of this. Anyway, and she ends up finding herself in this another, in another, another pleasure house under the care of this woman called Miss Cole. Throughout this, this, I was just like, Fanny, you need to, like, stop being so fucking trusting of everyone. Can I just say, in my readings, I came across a subgenre. It just reminded me when you were talking about this. That, that Fanny Hill is, can be put into, which is called the male-centred ramble novel. Oh, that's a good description of it. So I just feel like we should keep that in mind as we go forward. The male-centered ramble novel. Yeah, that maybe should be its new title. <laughs> Not quite as catchy as Benny Hill, though. Yeah. Anyway, so she finds herself in this, like, it's called a pleasure house. It's never outwardly called a brothel or a whorehouse or anything like that. And to be honest, the way that it's framed does sound like a pleasure house. Like, she takes up with this group of young women they're all like buddies. They are really affectionate to each other. They just kind of like relax all day. They choose their own clients, mm. all of whom are like quite high standing in society. Like it is this very romanticized idea of what beautiful, like stunning young women, all very healthy, all very, you know. All very healthy. Oh, well, yeah, they're, they're like immune to sexual <laughs> disease or pregnancy. Good part of the 18th century. <laughs> She's healthy. Well, there's this whole like critique around it as well about that being that all of the there's this group of young women who are they're the same sort of character there's no depth to them their their description their physical descriptions are all pretty much the same whereas all of the male characters have very different descriptions of their Mm. physicality their class their jobs they're they're much more like these um, robust characters and so there's, there's this argument that the female characters are just kind of like used as a vehicle to be able to explore all these male mm. characters and their sexualities which ties back into this idea of mm. the homoeroticism of the book anyway <sighs> she's at this pleasure house and all the girls start swapping stories of how they lost their virginity and something struck me which made me think of the last episode in your issue with sleep 
And I couldn't get over how often these women were falling asleep. And you said last time that you thought it was quite a risk. Mm. Um, turns out it is. And so these, these women are sharing stories about how they lost their virginity. Three women tell their stories. Two out of the three, the key part of how they lost their virginity was that they happened to fall asleep and then wake up with men inside them. What the fuck? That is so gross. Yeah, but it happens at least three times in this book. That is not okay. Yeah, not a nice recurring Men in the 18th century. Yeah, straight up not okay. (laughs) But, like, why are they fainting so easily? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's a – I feel like that may be a man thing, that, like, they think that women faint. Yeah, they're delicate. Yeah, you know, like, it's this whole thing of, like, ooh, get nice smelling sauce. Yeah. But actually, they're fine, and men are just, you know, being like, eh, you yeah. need to be a delicate flower. And then, so she's in this pleasure house. There's this um, there's this scene where they, it's kind of like this public orgy. It's almost like a sex competition. They take it in turns fucking <laughs> each other in front of each other, and then, like, clapping and cheering them on and stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. Is it on, like, length? Expertise. It didn't go into the scoring system. <laughs> Again, the plot is letting me down. I want spreadsheets. This, I want... <laughs> this was honestly one of the bits of the book that I was like, that's like, I quite liked that. It was, it was quite progressive. There was all of this talk about how they were. Was it, were there, were there, was it all heterosexual partners? Yeah. 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 Well, you know. Well, because by this point in the storyline, she's done with that quotation, women's business. Oh. Because it's no longer doesn't provide her enough satisfaction. Right. That the male penetration can. She needs the pain. Exactly. And then she's part of this elaborate ruse to sell her virginity. She's not a virgin anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's well something? and truly very experienced in the sex. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> in the sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, Miss Cole, the lady Sounds of the like house. Sounds like a wonderful entrepreneur. Exactly. She hears of this man who's a maiden hunter in the town. Ooh. And they're like, right, Fanny, we're going to make some money out of this guy. Mm. So she pretends to be a virgin. I like this. They get into this elaborate scheme. He pays a lot of money. Like she puts it. on this like whole act it was so elaborate that they went to the extremes of putting a secret drawer in one of the bedposts of the bed, which contained a red liquid and a sponge, so that after he passes out from orgasming, Fanny reaches up and just, like, sponges herself between her legs to make it look like she's been bleeding. Mr. Norbert is his name. Oh, Mr. Norbert. And he's kind of like the butt of the joke because he falls for it. And they're like, ha ha ha, you stupid man. Yeah, well... <laughs> I mean, he sounds like a ding dong. <laughs> a ding dong. Uh, almost at the end. Um, and so Fanny's on her own again. She meets this older guy who's sixty, so she's eighteen at this point. Right. And they strike up this sort of friendship that turns into a bit of a sexual relationship. And she goes on about how much she learns from him. She says, "From him, it was I first learned to any purpose." And not without infinite pleasure that I had such a portion of me worth bestowing some regard on. Aww. So at this point, I thought maybe that she was talking about the, the clitoris because it had been left behind this yeah. entire time. Like, I thought maybe he was like, oh, here's the pleasure button. <laughs> We're not going to call it the pleasure button. <laughs> if only because that encourages people to press it like a button. Yeah, that's fair. It's not a button. It's, it's, it's not a button. It's not a switch. It's not a button. And then she goes on to say, 
From him, I received my first essential encouragement in that the pleasures of the mind were superior to those of the body. Right. Yeah. And then he dies. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But he leaves everything to her. is pretty good at this day and age. Yeah, totally. He leaves her everything. She becomes a wealthy bitch. That's... (laughs) Okay. So she's 19, she's super wealthy, she wants for nothing... And then she starts thinking about her true love, Charles, if you recall from the beginning. <laughs> the passed out drunkard. Got yes. It. Turns out he's been writing her letters this whole time. She just happens upon him. And then. How, they, wait, where are the letters? I don't know, but apparently he tells her later on that he's been Lies. Writing lies. <laughs> lies and deceit. <laughs> Trust no one. There's this whole passage about how she realizes that money can't make her happy. And only his love will do that. Apparently, as you were saying before, his phallus. His phallus can't make her happy. His phallus can't make her happy. (laughs) It's phallus plus love equals happiness. Yeah. And then they get married. And and there's like a solid 30 pages at the end that were the most boring thing I've ever read. (laughs) Well, no, that's, I mean, maybe it's just because I was coming down from all of the sex. Yeah. About how much she loves him and how. They'll be happy forever and whatnot. Statistically untrue. Exactly. But but okay. And that's it. Happily ever after. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So rating out of 10. It was higher until I started to think about it critically. Right. It's always the problem. I know, right? It's always the problem. I think I'd give it, I I still think I'll give it like a seven. Okay. That's pretty high. Yeah. I think one of the overarching things that I found really frustrating with reading this book was that it had so much going on and I was so impressed by there being BDSM and there being homosexuality and there being Phoebe there and it like all of these bits and having orgies and things. I was like, yes, 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 great. But it still was very, very, very much for the male gaze. There Mm. wasn't... It was like surface level female pleasure. So I came across this great quote that I got from an academic that had my favorite name. Okay. Kathleen Luby. No, that's not real. (laughs) Kathleen Luby. Wow. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but L-U-B-E-Y. That's how I want to pronounce it. (laughs) Luby. Great. (laughs) Love it. Yeah, so it's this idea that pornography previously actually did represent these these kind of subversive ideas, Mm. one of which is women finding pleasure. Yeah. Ooh, subversive. Yeah. Wild. (laughs) And and this, this article spoke about this idea that pornography is directed for the male gaze, and I think there is an argument that that is true, but... Maybe it hasn't always been that way. Yeah. And maybe there is scope for it to not be that way. I think, and I think we're starting to see that starting to change a bit now. Yeah. I love the idea of, even if it was a male readership, whatever, I love the idea of there being this book that's being passed, un, like, from person to person, underground, and people were just, who were starting to be more sexually liberated, like that to me, seems like a good thing. I think, though, if you look at it from a perspective of, like, relativism of the time that it was created, Mm -hmm. still, like, more than what I read in The Mills and Boone. Yeah. You know? Like, there's there's more 
difference of sexual activities. There's less than just the straight heterosexual yeah. characters. Like it's because sex still is subversive. I don't think that it it's become normalized in certain ways, but it's still it's not something that people talk about on yeah, the reg. Absolutely. You know? So it is still a subversive act in some ways. Yeah. And sex where both partners are equal is a subversive act. And sex if you're into any sort of kink is a subversive act. Yeah. So whether we've lost track of that and that is reflected in the writing, mm. maybe we can learn something from the 18th century, not John Cleland. Someone no. else. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently the 19th century was pretty dull for sexy Sex. books. I'm sure they were still doing it. <laughs> Missionary only. And I guess that is a nice way to reflect on this podcast. Like, I think it's important that we have more conversations about sex and different forms of sex and how we're consuming sex. Not in a sexy way, but in like a, you know, in a how we consume it in TV and movies and literature and pornography. I think it plays a bigger role than we often give it credit for. And I think we need to come up with a way to end the podcast. I think that too. (laughs) And I would really love another glass of rosé. Yeah, I'm going to grab us another glass and um, bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details